0: Oh, hello there. I'm today's episode about 80s Disney movies and queer coding. But surely you knew that already, darling. Stay tuned.
1: Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and oh my, lots of good things. I'm Chris Leva, And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we are talking about Disney movies in the 80s. I mean, specifically, we're on part four of our uh, (laughs) (laughs) multi-part... I like this (laughs) non-commitment. Multi-part series where we take a look through the Disney canon. Um, And this time we're looking at the period where Disney doesn't know who they are anymore. They're, they're trying to figure out what their identity is, who they are. They, they feel like they want to move certain ways, but they're not quite sure. Um, they haven't quite come out of the shadow of Walt. So they're dealing with a lot. Also, there's the idea of the old guard losing their grip on things and new folks starting to take over. And it gets messy and interesting, but mostly messy.
0: And I think if you grew up in this time, you have like, probably your favorite disc movie is from this time, as I think we we both have found and agreed upon. Um, But we also know that like, this isn't the highest quality time. In Disney's history.
1: <laughs> You're right. So we'll start by listing the films in this particular era. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will go like, Oh yeah, that one. How could you say this was a bad time if it had that one? We're not saying it's a bad time, we're just saying it's a questioning time. It's a it's a time of growth and um it's like it's the, a time. It's a time of Disney films. So <laughs> In this era, so when we last left our heroes, they had lost their leader, and the last film was Jungle Book. This era begins with the Aristocats in 1970, which is also known as 101 Dalmatians with Cats in France. Um, <laughs> Accurate. We have, we, have, we have Robin Hood, 1973. Um, Until Nick Wilde, it was the um, most debonair fox in the Disney canon.
0: I disagree with today's topic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then we have the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh in nineteen seventy seven. Also in nineteen seventy seven, we have the Rescuers. We have the Fox and the Hound, nineteen eighty one. The Black Cauldron in nineteen eighty five. The Great Mouse Detective in 1986, and The End of the Era, Oliver and Company in 1988.
0: And I think you could probably argue that, like, Rescuers Down Under is, like, this weird extension of this era when Disney eras start to overlap, but...
1: Yes, yeah, you, I do make that argument usually. It's like, they haven't quite caught their footing yeah. yet. So, but that's... Like, when you
0: think, when you think <laughs> Disney Renaissance, you don't think Rescuers down under.
1: (laughs) No, you don't really. But we'll when we talk about the Disney Renaissance next time. Well, not next episode, but the next episode of this series. Not this part five. Part five of this series. We will discuss the Disney Renaissance. (laughs) So, as you can see, there's there's some really recognizable titles. So, really, things like Robin Hood stand out. Rescuers stand out. Um, Fox and the Hound stands out, Oliver and Company. Um, we've talked about The Black Cauldron, so you can go back and listen to our episode all about that one. But today. we like we're-
0: a Pedro Almodóvar movie. I love it. <laughs> all about The Black Cauldron.
1: All about that one. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but today we're going to concentrate on two films that we chose. Because they were each our childhood favorites. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about the fox and the hound and the great mouse detective. If you can guess whose favorite is whose by the end of this conversation, um, or we'll just tell you
0: um, in a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I think we said it in like homework time last episode, too. So if you're binge binge listening, (laughs) you might already know the answer. Don't spoil it for the person next to you on the train who's also listening to Writers Get Animated because that's what I imagine. Everyone listens to you on the train.
1: Absolutely, especially in Virginia. Um, I don't know, we have a lot of listeners in Virginia. Okay. Anyway. Um Are the trains in Virginia? Yeah, to get to DC.
0: Oh, okay, that's a fair point. I am on the West Coast now. I don't know what the East Coast looks like.
1: <laughs> so let's take a look at this. So. Um, in choosing those f- because they were our favorites, we also honed in on this transformational point. In, in a lot of ways, if you look at Jungle Book, Aristocats, Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, Rescuers, if you look at that group of films, they're all going to look very much the same in style, um, tone, music. It's like they hit their stride with 101 Dalmatians using the Xerox method to move their animation paper onto the cells. And then they decided they could also Xerox story and tone and theme and style. Mm -hmm. They just went full out. And in some cases, such as Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, um, Robin Hood, Aristocats, they reused some of the animation. And you could see videos on YouTube of that happening. So they got a little Xerox happy. And it starts to feel that way. They all start to feel the same. But really when you get to Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, and Great Mouse Detective, you start to see a... I don't want to call it a puberty point, but it's like... (laughs) It's like there's this there's this growth.
0: It's a total shift, except tonal being artwork.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 really interesting what what starts to happen here. Um, and behind the scenes, during the Great Mouse Detective, you end up with the change in Disney CEOs. You end up with Michael Eisner taking over as CEO and putting the Jeffrey, Jeffrey Katzenberg into the head of the studio and their ideas start to influence things, which we'll talk about as we talk about the making of these films, which is a little crazy. So there's, there's, there's a not, it's not just the artwork change. There's also the governing body change and who's in charge starts to change
0: well I think as you look at like the the film's list of your two and I would definitely say like yeah starting with the jungle book with Walt's death um, you can see like the idea of what a story is like slowly starts to fall apart across (laughs) like, like the narrative of these movies until they get to the great mouse detective and I think they relearn what a story is and there's like less and less of it there and I think Fox and the Hound we'll talk about but I think they hone in on some other classic Disney elements that they figured, like, maybe this is a story. uh, And maybe it's not a story, but it is an emotion. This movie's an emotion, is what it is.
1: Yeah, Fox and the Hound feels very much like... uh, It feels like the No Country for Old Men version (laughs) of a Disney movie, where it's like... uh, things kind of happen and stuff is going on but really you're just sitting there watching people feel things for a while in the country in some ways
0: I I could get behind that um, does no, <laughs> no Country for Old Man also have Kurt Russell in it?
1: Uh, no it doesn't
0: Ah, oh, man I was going to say that's another connection <laughs> because he's been acting forever. Um, but Fox now, I think, especially evident from like the first 10 seconds of this movie, it's not the 10 seconds, the opening credit sequence, like I think they're trying to uh, evoke classic Disney, Snow White, Cinderella, and it's like the happy, like sing-songy music and like these beautiful nature landscapes. Um, and that's not something that I think you really get in a lot of the other movies in this period
1: no, there there is artistry in the opening credits that you really don't get. So you really see nature. Um, one thing I, I found a quote that I didn't write down because I was like, "Oh, that's not going to come up." But <laughs> but one <laughs> thing, I got you. I know one of the one of the animators um, was discussing like the animation is really great that Disney does. You know they're talking about. I think they were talking about Great Mouse Detective, like, yeah, it's really great. And there's some interesting characters. It's like, but with the old Disney, you can really f- feel the bones inside of the characters. Mm-hmm. And in this, in this case, there's again, there's that nature. It feels real. It feels like it has bones, like it has meat on it. It's, it's mm-hmm. there. And the it meat's did- debatable. I know that's true. Uh, definitely bones. Um, but it, it starts off pretty much in silence for a good, I I don't know how long that silence is. There's not even music. There's, there are nature sounds and it sounds like emptiness and the credits are rolling and you're just like, I I turned up the volume (laughs) to like, like 50. I'm like, is this, am I missing something? And then, then it suddenly had music randomly towards, towards the end. And then the story kind of started at that point.
0: Well, what I say about this movie is it kind of, it picks up where Bambi ends. It's a new character, it's a different idea, but it's like the same, like, <laughs> someone was like, what if we didn't end Bambi? I haven't seen Bambi, so spoilers, I guess. I'm not sure where it, is. Bambi's mom dies.
1: It's about the midpoint. Oh, it's the midpoint. See, yeah. I was
0: assumed it was the end. I don't know anything about Bambi. (laughs) Well, fine. This picks up in the middle of Bambi then. It's like, okay, so here's Fox now. Here's this character. It's nature. It's beautiful. Let's kill the mom. Done. It's out of the way. Disney movie, like prerequisite. Check. Done. Killed the mom on screen. Not on screen. And that's really what it gives you. And it's just, it makes you feel things at the beginning. And it's really like a meditation Odd sadness.
1: <laughs> the whole film,
0: uh, to a certain degree, yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right.
0: It's just it's one big like sad emotion. There's a lot of versions of sad, but it's a lot of sad.
1: Mm-hmm. I I can get behind that, especially knowing the source material. If you want to know sad. I haven't read the source material, but I was reading about the plot differences between the film and the novel, Fox and the Hound. It's like, okay, that's sad. That's some real sad.
0: I don't know all the differences, but I know you made a note that uh, Chief was slated to die, or he dies in the novel. He does.
1: Um, Chief does die. What are the big changes? So, Can we talk about what Fox and the Hound is like real quick, and then I'll tell you what... They change from the novel.
0: Yeah, do you want me to talk about Fox and the Hound the movie?
1: Yeah, please do.
0: Okay, here's Fox and the Hound the movie. Boom! Uh, nature, nature, nature. Great, it's beautiful, it's happy, it's serene. Uh, gunshot. Mom Fox runs onto the screen with baby Fox. Hides baby Fox. Runs off. A uh, couple gunshots. It's clear from the music, mom is dead. Okay.
1: <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I just really uncomfortable.
0: And then uh, this owl named uh, Big Mama, played by Pearl Bailey, which may or may not be a drag queen. I can't tell. Um, (laughs) Look at that. It's like a fur coat, but with owl feathers. It's got the big, like, ruffly neck. There's a lot going on. Yeah, there is. Yeah, so Big Mama's like, oh, no, oh, child, oh, honey, honey baby. Um, And tries to find a way to protect baby Fox finds this lonely old widow, gives baby fox to her, hilarity ensues. Um, there's two sidebird characters who are in this movie for some reason. <laughs> Boomer and Dinky. Um, basically, the little baby fox is growing up with the widow as a happy life, discovers that next door neighbor Hick adopts a new dog in addition to his old dog and baby dog and baby fox become friends for a day? Question mark? Time is weird. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, long story short, there's a chase, um, older dog, uh, chases after baby Fox and, uh, gets hurt in the process and, uh, becomes unable to be a hunting dog anymore. And at that point, uh, to protect baby Fox, widow drives baby Fox into the middle of the woods and in a heart wrenching, like eyes, like waterfalls moment, like has to leave baby Fox in the woods all alone. I sent baby fox, older fox, aged fox.
1: Bad winter. bad 12 year old mustache fox.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Winter happens and they're suddenly teenagers. Um, so separate for winter and then all this stuff happens. Uh, adult fox goes into the woods and finds adult female fox um, at Big Mama's encouragement because she knows all the foxes apparently. And then Hick Neighbor decides to go after Fox in the woods anyway, figures out where he is, takes adult dog, now formerly baby dog, now adult dog into the woods and goes hunting after the fox because now dog friend hates fox friend because he got his dad dog hurt. Dad dog, brother dog, uncle dog.
1: They're a family.
0: Yeah, they're they're a non-traditional family. That's mm-hmm. what this is about. <clears throat> go in the woods. They set some bear traps. There's some dramatic moments of, like, fox chasing. Um, and ultimately, uh, Hick gets his leg trapped in his own bear trap. Right? Yes. yes. And ironically, there's a bear there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Would have been really nice to have a trap about now.
0: I know, right? <laughs> And then uh, Fox helps lure bear away, um, they both fall off a cliff, down actual waterfall, not an eye waterfall this time. And Fox comes out of the water, hick neighbor's air, with his injured leg, pointing gun at Fox and decides... This is fine. I could have got him, I'm not going to. And they leave. And then adult Fox and adult friend dog share a backward longing look at each other and smile and then go their separate ways. End of movie. This has been another bad retelling of a Disney movie. <laughs> by Mackenzie Whirl. So, um, in,
1: in the novel, so, you know, there, there's two dogs. There's Copper and Chief. In the novel, Copper is the aged old dog. And Chief is this new young whippersnapper who comes in, horning in on Copper's territory. Um, And then eventually, Chief, the, the young little whippersnapper, ends up dying much in the same way as the Disney movie, except the Disney movie, he doesn't die. And in the Disney movie, they are swapped. Chief is the old learned thing, and... Copper is the young whippersnapper, so that way they could have a friendship between the fox and the hound, as opposed to just a revenge story of this old dog and this young fox.
0: Oh, are they not even friends at all in the book?
1: No, not at all.
0: Oh, okay.
1: The fox is like, hey, there's a farm. Oh no, run away. Oh, there's a train. So they're not even mild acquaintances.
0: Oh, yeah. For those of you keeping score, in the battery telling, I did skip the part about the train, but that's where the dog gets hurt.
1: Yes. Continue. And and one of, there was a big fight between the makers of the film saying, um, no, he has to die. Chief has to die. If he just, you know, if he just breaks his leg, that doesn't give enough motivation for Copper to hate his best friend and go after him to try to kill him. So all the young people, all the young animators at the time, like Ron Clements, whose name you'll hear <laughs> in the future, um, they're like, okay, we have to do it. We have to do it. Please let us kill him. Um, and then the director's like, you know, we, we're, we've we never killed a main character in a Disney movie and at, we're not going to start doing that. So they went higher up and they're like, no, no, the director's right. We're, we're not going to kill him. And so there's like a nail right there in, in terms of, okay, there's something going on between the old guard and the young guard.
0: But to their credit, while they disagreed about this, I think they uh, executed it in a way <laughs> <laughs> that I think works in the movie. And this is one of the things that I think is well done in the movie, honestly, of... It's not the fact that, I mean, while Chief didn't die, I think the motivation is still there because he could have and by all rights should be dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think they play that well, and the fact that he winds up with, like, this broken leg as an invalid works well at the end when, of course, the hick neighbor has his injured leg also and is being taken care of by the widow. Mm Mm-hmm. So some nice parallels there?
1: Yeah, there are some nice parallels. In the original novel, the um, the neighbor is, is an alcoholic, and um, they actually end up killing the fox, killing Todd. Um, Copper runs him until the fox dies of exhaustion. Um, Copper almost dies. The old man drinks himself crazy, um, needs to go to a rest home, but can't take his dog. So the final moments of the book are him closing the dog's eyes with his hand, raising his gun to kill the dog, and the dog licking his hand.
0: Why did they, okay, first of all, why is this the source material they chose for a Disney animated movie? (laughs) Can we talk about that? Okay, so we have alcoholism, we have um, killing your dog, we have uh, two other main characters dying, Like there's nothing about this novel that you're recounting to me screams, let's make a Disney movie. I'm not
1: even telling you about how Todd had a family and then they, um, they gassed the family and then he had another family and then they lured them out and shot them like basically one by one, all his, all his pups.
0: I feel like the source material is like this marriage of, um, what's, what's the dog movie? Old Yeller? It's a marriage of Old Yeller and Moby Dick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) when I was reading about the original story, I was like, yeah, this does not scream to me Disney movie other than you have animals with thoughts. It's like, well, if we make them, I, I can understand the story beat changes. If we make them good friends, then when one when the fox gets the other dog hurt slash killed, then that is interesting. You have friend turning on friend, you know, and the the fact that there's this big character change. That's interesting character wise. But nothing else necessarily is in terms of the way they they build the story. They took they didn't take the meat of it. They kind of stripped it and and gave it a couple of bones in there, but they kind of sliced some of the main story and motivations.
0: It's like I said, it's a meditation on sadness, and I think that about halfway through they essentially say what the story's about halfway through. <laughs> and you realize everything leading up to this moment is about that quote and everything after that moment is about that quote. Um And so it's Todd saying...
1: Oh, no, not my friend Copper. He won't ever change.
0: And Big Mama being the wise parent that we all identify with in Disney movies now, says...
1: Darling, forever is a long, long time. And
0: time has a way of changing things. And that's what this movie's about. It's like, we'll be friends forever. And the adult's saying... Will you... (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's like when five-year-olds are like, I'm gonna marry her, and it's like,
0: uh, will you though? And this movie's just, it's all about time and changing things, but also like still being friends forever. What are what are friends? Are they friends forever? They have that smile at the end. Are they back to being friends, even though they're never gonna talk to each other? What is left to be told of the story? There is a Fox and the Hound too, from like 20 years later, that doesn't continue the story. It's like a mid
1: Yeah, because you really can't continue that story.
0: Yeah, I don't think there needed to be a mid either. I'm not sure. Like, And again, as far as source material for Disney movies go, when they were in their direct-to-video sequels, what made them think that the Fox and the Hound needed another <laughs> iterative story? Cinderella, cool. It's a classic. Lion King, it's making us money right now. Fox and the Hound, mm, I'm going to say yes to that.
1: Well, thankfully they did, (laughs) they they halted production on Dumbo too. So at least they, (laughs) at least they did that. At least they stopped that. Um, But I, I think Fox and the Hound speaks to nostalgia and people remember one part of Fox and the Hound. They all remember this one part. If you say Fox and the Hound, the first thing that jumps in your head is I'm a hound dog. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's what you see. These cute kid animals. Like, that's all you remember of Fox and the Hound. Nobody remembers when Mickey Rooney shows up and when Kurt Russell shows up. They're like, wait, they grow up? Nobody remembers that part. They just remember this idyllic childhood that these two animals have. But that's the bad part of the movie. Is it, though? See, okay,
0: I guess I was a strange kid. <laughs> sorry spoilers this was my favorite disney movie growing up and I, th- I have a theory that every childhood has like the one disney movie that you see again and again and again and again my little sister watched the little mermaid every friday night for like four years <laughs> i've suppressed a lot of the little mermaid i haven't seen it since because i've seen it enough times for one lifetime um and it's a fine movie and i can still like quote songs from it all the time and the fox and the hound was mine like This is what I'm gonna watch, because you know what? I like feeling sad as a kid. Let's watch Fox and the Hound again. (laughs) And this is VHS, so it's not like you could just hit repeat on the the DVD, you have to like sit there and rewind the video and wait to be sad again, thinking about how you're gonna be sad again (laughs) while you're waiting for it to rewind and start over. Oh
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's so much in that. Like just this (laughs) image. Oh, you didn't even have a VHS rewinder. You did it in the VCR itself, didn't you?
0: Yeah. Oh. That wasn't fancy. We didn't have a VHS. This is also at my grandma's house, like, up in the middle of Ohio.
1: Oh, so. oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, she didn't have, like, any movies either, but she had the Fox and the Hound. I don't know why. This is the first time I saw it was at her place, and it would have been. So she got it. I'm shh. Well, not before I was bored, but, like. Before I liked it, because I saw it for the first time there. She didn't get it for me. It was already there. Uh, she must have used it in kindergarten or something. I don't know. She's a kindergarten teacher.
1: I would not show that to a kindergartner. Having shown it to a kindergartner. <laughs> <laughs> so, having shown it to um, my son Jack, who's five. He's almost a kindergartner. He, um, he loved a lot of it. There's a huge chase scene, which takes about four minutes of screen time. Where which is
0: a lot of movie. It's a lot of this movie.
1: It is. So it's a huge chunk of where we start to see that um, Todd gets in trouble by accident. And the hunter first sees the fox being trouble. Like oh no, there's a fox. He's trying to get the chickens. He's not trying to get the chickens. He just accidentally scared them, and because chickens are like ah fox, and he's like, it's okay. I'm I'm from the farm across the way, with the widow and you know widow Tweed is that her name?
0: I don't know something <laughs> folksy like that.
1: <laughs> and they have um, and it's and he was jumping up and down for four minutes, excited about this cracking up by this whole sequence. I mean,
0: and it's... To it's, be clear, your son Jack, not the fox.
1: The, yes, my son Jack. And Jack loved that. Um, and then it got really sad, and he he got... He he said... Um, he's like, he walked away from it at one point. He's like, I'm done. I can't watch this anymore.
0: It's not a good Jack movie, knowing no. that he doesn't like sad things like that.
1: Yeah, he... <laughs> This is funny though, though. Um, <laughs> um, my son Jack is obsessed with trains.
0: Oh. So he got really excited at the train? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> no. The train started coming. He's like, hey, it's a train. And um, he he saw it. He saw the train hit the dog, and he's like, the fox is safe! The train <laughs> saved him. <laughs> Completely he was cheering. This dog is falling to his supposed death being struck by a train and he's like, The train saved the fox <laughs> <laughs> And I had to pause it because I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> like, you completely missed that. I leaned to my wife and I'm like, I don't think he I don't think he got that. So we This pa- part of the movie does not work
0: for Jack. It's <laughs> not a Jack
1: we paused the it and wait. had to explain, like, no, the train hit the dog. The dog is hurt. It's like, but the train saved the fox. Like, okay, moving on.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's just
0: keep going. Well, I, okay, so let's let's break this down a little bit and kind of summarize Fox and the Hound. So for you, not having seen this very recently, even though you're a Disney movie aficionado, yes. and seeing it f- with Jack for the first time, What works about Fox and the Hound?
1: Uh, Anytime there's action, the action works. I think of um, the scene, (laughs) the car chase, which I guess is still part of that scene. Yeah. There's that car chase, which is really great where the hunter's chasing after the, the widow and the fox is jumping in. There's the sequence. It's not really action, but it's, something actually happening where she's taking the fox out to the nature preserve. So, Ugh. I mean, that's, I hate the dialogue, but the, um, it's really pure. Mm-hmm. If I wish it weren't in rhyme, if it, yeah. <laughs> like, well, we didn't have time to write a song, but can you just say these lyrics? And, uh, yeah. Um, and then I, I did appreciate the final moment. The the thing that works absolutely the best is Copper stepping in front of um, Todd at the end.
0: Yeah, and they do it twice, a la Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing in such a good way. It's really emphasizing, like, yeah, I really mean to be standing here, Hunter. Don't shoot, or you'll get me too. <laughs>
1: Just that that step and then that look and then he makes the whining sound like if you want it, go ahead. Go ahead and kill me.
0: Yeah, I agree with all those things. I would also add that I think the animation as a whole works really well in this movie. It's really well animated. Oh, yes. Despite going through like the Don Bluth purge of Don Bluth quitting during the set of this and delaying the movie six months and getting new animators.
1: Well... The, the widow, her in the, um, in the barn milking the cow feels like a seven minute Don Bluth film inside yes. of a Disney film.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> Todd's expressions and everything. They look more like a Don Bluth character, like basically a, a Five from an American tale, you know, that it feels like a Don Bluth movie inside of the Disney movie. Right there. Yeah. That, that barn sequence.
0: So it's a high bar for animation. I don't think that anything was recycled as far as I'm aware.
1: No, I don't believe um, so.
0: I, like I said, I think that the film is, it picks an emotion and theme, it sticks with it, and it explores that very well. Maybe not as a story, but as an idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i also <clears throat> i think that boomer and dinky as a comedic duo are really good together i don't think they work in the movie but i like them as an idea and
1: just as something to to show what we could have gotten i do love this story that i found about um, the story and you
0: know the idea
1: <laughs> that
0: about i had to read this a couple times i didn't believe this was real <laughs>
1: So, they thought that the film had a really weak second act, so they decided that they should probably add a musical number with two (laughs) cranes, one voiced by Phil Harris, who played Baloo in Jungle Book, and (laughs) who um, played O'Malley in The Aristocats, and who played Little John in Robin Hood, so you know, Disney royalty. They got him and Charo <laughs> <laughs> where they would sing a song entitled This is Rue. This is real. This is real. Um, they would sing a song t- called Scooby Dooby Dooby Doo. Let your body turn goo. <laughs> they had live action reference footage of Charo dancing but a like lot of do. but a lot of people really didn't like like it, and they, I they,
0: wonder why.
1: They thought this song was uh, a distraction from the main plot.
0: Okay, plot is already loose, but at least Fox the Hound stuck to an emotion, and nothing about what you're describing, and what I think might be a rogue Wikipedia edit that's not a real fact. <laughs> nothing about this describes the emotion in the story of Fox the Hound, which is why. <laughs>
1: But I feel like they're, they were scared of this change. And so, of course, they go back to Phil Harris. Like, they go back to, wait, this is slow. This is... And one thing that Jack walked away so I'm like, this is boring. <laughs> he walked away somewhere in the second act. I'm like, well, what he could have used is a musical number. With Charon Phil Harris. Phil <laughs> Harris. So, I'm like, okay, so... They knew something wasn't working, but it's not that it needed a musical number. It's that it needed character and story (laughs) to fill in that part where they just had things happening.
0: And, you know, nothing says this isn't a gay movie like adding Charo and a sweaty pink leotard to it. we'll talk about that later
1: we will <laughs> thoughts many many thoughts
0: so tell me what you think doesn't work about fox and the hound before we move on
1: i don't know i i feel like anytime the animals speak just <laughs> just in general i mean mickey rooney doesn't work for me kurt russell kind of does cuz he sets up this he has this charming thing going on but I'm just thrown by Mickey Rooney. It makes me not like Todd when he Mm. gets older to have Mickey Rooney just because it's a very specific voice. He does a good job, but I feel like it's wrong for that character. Sandy Duncan works, though. Mm. Sandy Duncan is great. I won't say a word against Sandy Duncan, especially in this.
0: I will, but it's not Sandy Duncan's fault. It's the first time Todd talks. So you don't see baby Fox talk at all. And then the first time you hear his voice, he's not on screen. We have like a reaction shot of big mama or something. I'm like, who's talking? What's going on? Oh, it's the baby Fox can talk now after having not established this. Apparently we're talking age. It's just so (laughs) jarring when you first see it. Like what, what is happening in this movie? I don't know what this moment is. Mm -hmm. And there's, and that's so early in the movie. And that's when you get the feeling like, okay, they don't really like the idea of cause and effect in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And that continues to be a problem throughout. I don't think that a lot of the story works. And for a movie that's supposed to be about how they're best friends as kids, they spend like a day and a half together on screen. Like there's really hardly any time spent for the friendship.
1: Yeah, it feels like a couple of days, but you're given the sense that it was a whole season. Yeah. But but the storytelling doesn't make that clear. And it's like, is this one winter? Is this multiple winters? Is this like multiple years later? Because they grow a lot. And I, I don't think that they would be that much older in the winter. But I don't know what the growth <laughs> of a dog and a fox is like over the course of a single year.
0: Yeah. But. So, in summary, pro-motion, pro-animation, con, story? (laughs) Was there one?
1: I think in the beginning there tried to be one, and at the end there tried to be one. But not right at the
0: very beginning. And the middle was like this, I'm drawing a meandering dotted line with my hand. I know you can't see this, listeners, but just imagine. It's like a treasure map, except you could have, like, gone two feet to the left and got the treasure and <laughs> saved the rest of the map.
1: Right. It, it would have been a wonderful 15-minute film.
0: <laughs> yes, I could get behind that. Especially... Still if, just as sad.
1: Yeah, especially if Chief had died.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh. Poor Chief. <sighs> okay, so Great Mouse Detective.
1: Yes. So before Great Mouse Detective, though, remember, we have people rebelling against st- stuff like Fox and the Hound <laughs> and you end up with the Black Cauldron, which is a great departure. So you can s-
0: either stop <laughs> that's a th- good backhanded <laughs> compliment. Like, it's a great departure. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: you can listen to our episode about that. Um but just to say that it's it was the the pendulum swinging really fast in another way. I'm not saying the opposite way <laughs> it was the pendulum swinging a different way. It's a four-dimensional pendulum. Exactly, and then it came back to when we get to the Great Mouse Detective, which was originally entitled Basil of Baker Street, um, based on the book series of the same name, Basil of Baker Street, not Great Mouse Detective. Um, but during the making of it, like as we said, there was the CEO change and they immediately started to influence things. And one of the things they did was they thought the title was too British. Basil of Baker Street is too British. So they're like, how about the great mouse detective, which says nothing and everything at the same time. And when it was released, to be fair, when it was released, it had a better title, which was The Adventures of the Great Mouse Detective.
0: Oh, had a Disney name change.
1: Which, when I was a kid, thought that I'd be seeing a new Great Mouse Detective movie every year. Because it was plural. Like, this is the first movie of many.
0: My heart is breaking for baby Chris right now.
1: Yeah, seven-year-old Chris was like, let's go, man. I'm ready for more Basil of Baker Street.
0: And that was the beginning of Chris getting attached emotionally to things that wouldn't continue on as stories. Yeah. Or franchises.
1: <laughs> uh, it It was the first franchise that never was for me. <laughs> so... <laughs> But then, I I love this story about one of the the animators, Ed Gombert, who wrote a fake memo to the studio that they were changing the names of other other Disney properties. (laughs) So, like, we're renaming these films Seven Little Men Help a Girl, The Wonderful Elephant Who Could Really Fly, The Little Deer Who Grew Up, The Girl With the See-Through Shoes, Which I love. Two Dogs Fall in Love.
0: It's my personal favorite. (laughs) You get exactly what you're promised.
1: Puppies Taken Away. And A Boy, A Bear, and A Big Black Cat. So it's just like, let's do these generic titles. Not that Basil of Baker Street says all that much. But, you know, Great Mouse Detective. Even if it was basil the great mouse detective maybe that'd be a little bit better but
0: some specificity
1: yeah it's just something who is I, the great mouse detective
0: i agree i think the the title of great mouse detective falls more in like and i'm not bad mouthing everything he's done but it falls in the uh the don bluth line of titling i think a lot of like the land before time what what does that mean
1: The People in the Movie. That's what it's titled. The People in the Movie That Things Happen To. (laughs)
0: Let's just call every movie eponymous from now on.
1: (laughs) That one. That one where that happened.
0: (laughs) Just call them all uh, Friends episode titles? I
1: think we should. (laughs) The one where the fox and the hound are... I don't know what.
0: The one with Divine is a sea octopus. (laughs)
1: Uh, That's part five. That's part five. Um, So, The Great Mouse Detective is essentially, I I think of it, it's like the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes, long before Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, or as my wife called it. Is that the one with Jude Law and Tony Stark? (laughs) Um, so it's just this retelling of Sh- the story of Sherlock Holmes with mice. However, um, it's Sherlock Holmes does exist in that universe as a character. It's just a mouse who lives in the same house as Sherlock Holmes.
0: And does the same things and does the same things. A mouse queen. That's the same age where they both have mouse and human wars in Afghanistan that doctors are returning from
1: Yeah, um, the mice having a war in Afghanistan, which my wife's like, we've always been in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> I was like really that's that's your takeaway from this mouse
0: <laughs> gone? That was my takeaway too, honestly.
1: <laughs> a mouse has gone to war. Why are we not talking about the fact that there's a mouse fighting in a war so... Anyway, uh, it it takes a lot of the the original Sherlock Holmes and some of the concepts of Basil of Baker Street, because again, when I was a kid, I the, one of the first things I did after seeing this was go read the book series, uh, Basil of, ba- of Baker Street, because I'm like, okay, let's see what the next movie is going to be about, because obviously they're going to take it from these books. <laughs> From the Basil of Baker Street EU, um, obviously. Not EU, expanded universe. but like expanded universe of Basil of Baker Street. Okay.
0: Um, Thanks, Chris Leva, a.k.a. the Pablo Hidalgo of Basil of Baker Street.
1: <laughs> so essentially what happens in this film? We have a young girl, <clears throat> the daughter of a toy maker, who gets um, the toy maker her father, voiced by Alan Young, who we know as Uncle Scrooge, um, taken by a bat. And she, her only hope is to find the great mouse detective, Basil of Baker Street, so he can find her father. Um, when she she meets up with Dr. Dawson, who is basically... Watson, Dr. Watson, in almost every detail. And he helps her find Basil, and we find out that Basil's completely uninterested in helping this young girl. Um, Because he is on a mission to find and stop the nefarious Professor Rattigan, voiced by Vincent Price. And, but when he finds out that the young girl's father is somehow connected to the latest scheme of Ratigan's, he takes on the case to find her father. And then we go in and we find out that Ratigan is um, getting the toy maker to construct a audio animatronic Disney figure <laughs> of the queen, Queen Mouse Toria. Um and she would name him part of uh, his, his her royal consort so he yeah. could become king and take over the kingdom rule over I'm sorry all of Maustam and um
0: well clearly not Afghanistan Maustam they're struggling with that
1: right so uh in the end he fails Rad- like Radigan everyone does. in Afghanistan. <laughs> like, oh man. So <laughs> Radigan fails in his thing, Basil stops him, and Basil and Dawson end up together as partners in crime in solving the crimes. <laughs> and that is a another bad retelling <laughs> of a Disney movie by writers Get Animated.
0: Ta-da. Ta-da.
1: At least we're consistent.
0: Yeah. Um, that and uh, bad impressions of famous people. That's true. So um, with
1: with The Great Mouse Detective, something that we get that I feel was lacking in a lot of Disney films before then is we get changing tone throughout the movie and we actually get mystery we mm-hmm. get some intrigue um there are parts that are really frightening um i mean jump scares you get basically a the ugly face of the bat coming out at you
0: twice <laughs> jump out it's th- I, I would see the great Mass detective in 3d <laughs>
1: ah it's the bat again he got me Um, Not to
0: be confused with Ratigan.
1: Not yes, not not the rat, the
0: bat. Not the bat again, but Ratigan.
1: Oh, I see. I see. Thank you. I got. I got it. I had to
0: make it painfully clear. I don't know if you understood it the first time, Chris. (laughs) Bat again. Win said quickly. Sounds like Batigan,
1: which sounds like Ratigan.
0: There we go. Now yeah, I'm, I'm positive you understand.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. So, <laughs> throughout this, we do get an interesting character with Basil. Um, we get somebody who is unlikable, but charming in a weird way. Probably because he's British. I think if you have somebody who's unlikable, but they're British, you still kind of like them. Mm -hmm. They're British. They're British, right? That's the
0: entire appeal of British TV, I think.
1: And I, (laughs) this, we have a lot of listeners in the UK. So I'm I'm saying this with all my, you know, my my love of uh, all things British. Um, But he's a, he's really unlikable character. And because he's he's very he has a tunnel vision about what he's trying to solve. He doesn't care a whit for this young girl. He's like basically wants her to leave and get out. Um, And he can't really relate to her. And it's much like right now I'm reading a study in Scarlet, um, the first Sherlock Holmes story, for something on my own, which I can't talk about yet. But um, it's, it's interesting because he's total, Sherlock Holmes is totally unlikable in that. He doesn't understand human emotion at all. And so Basil's just very much in line with Sherlock Holmes in that sense. So he as a character works. And you do have Olivia, the daughter, and you have Dawson as the windows to the reactions to um, Basil. So they're uh, both amazed at his intellect and both just very disgusted by his attitude and behavior, which is just this really interesting dynamic. They can't help but be (laughs) amazed, but they're just like, come on, get her name right. Get her name right. What's wrong with you?
0: But they're kind of like endeared toward it by the end, like, Oh, no, it's not Flabbergast. It's Flaversham.
1: Whatever. <laughs> so. Oh,
0: Basil. You be you.
1: And, and he does change. There is Yes. There is a nice change to his character, which you don't get really in, in a Disney movie um, until this point, I feel. Like, looking back at all the Disney movies, it's somebody triumphing but not transforming, mm. you know, or if they do transform or change. It's
0: physically, not emotionally.
1: <laughs> exactly. Thank you. If we're knowing exactly where I was going, like Mowgli doesn't change. He just leaves the jungle. You know, um, the rescuers don't change. They just save somebody. Like it's not, it's their triumphs. It's not a transforming. But mm-hmm. Basil starts to see that, you know, he may not be the smartest person. His, his tunnel vision does get in the way. He does get bested by Radigan. He does fall into a trap when he thinks he's outsmarted everybody else.
0: And they show you his potential to change early on. Because I think, like, the first scene, he feels bad about yelling at the girl. Like, she makes him feel bad. You're like, oh, you can't be the villain because you have emotions.
1: Yes. Because he does start playing his violin and he says, um, surely your mother knows where he is. She's like, I don't have a mother. (laughs) He's immediately like, (laughs) he he does try to, he's like, well, I I just don't have time.
0: But I do love leading up to that. As he's saying no to her, he goes over to play his violin, which when you think about the size of the mouse, might be the world's smallest violin.
1: That is funny. I've (laughs) never thought about that. But that is funny. I I just always loved, as a kid, I always loved Basil's trembling hand reaching over to grab the violin. It's just like this most pained, oh, I I must get my violin and play it. He's just such a fun character. Um, he is.
0: You want to watch more Basil.
1: And th- it's really strong acting. Like, Basil doesn't have a lot of lines, but his acting is great throughout. There's this scene where he's been bested, um, and Radigan is making fun of his disguise, and, you know, pulling off the mustache, and making fun of him, and making all of his henchmen laugh, and they're laughing that that they've caught him, that they've beat him. And you see him, his mouth just tense up, and you see him just holding everything in, and his whole body is stiff, and then you just see the moment where he cracks, and he's like, I can't, he can't hold it anymore. He can't be proud. He realizes that they're right, and he's broken, and He's done. And he just gives up.
0: And that's what this movie does really well. It tells a story with good pacing and clear character arcs and changes. What? (laughs) I know. Crazy how that works. Um, But I think that it, uh, in focusing so much on plot, maybe like, it doesn't find like an emotion. Like it has all the elements there to like, have a message and I don't think you have to have a message necessarily, but Disney movies tend to have a message Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it like never quite hits that message. It doesn't feel like a full Disney movie to me.
1: You're right. It, it, it's missing something. I don't know what it is. And I've seen this movie 20 some times. (laughs) (laughs) And every time I see it, I feel like almost there. It's, it's, Almost there. There's something missing, and part of it, like it, it, the music in it. I'll say the score music by, you know, Henry Mancini, is brilliant and great. Although the very first moment is really, really jarring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. I
1: know you made. I'm a glad no- you had to say it. I know you made a note of it. Um, and but I've always felt that because what. It, it starts off with this mystery. He's, it's this really violent, rough sounding, like the, the father's being kidnapped by the bat. And then Olivia goes out and it's silent and you just see this wreckage. And she goes out into the foggy streets of London and it's dark and it's foggy. And she's, Daddy,
0: where are you? You just get like the weak, Daddy. Daddy, where, where are, are you? And then happy, upbeat music. I I was still watching it, like, what is happening? Like, there's no emotional intelligence as to like what the audience should be feeling at this point in the movie. It's like the greatest (laughs) theme. (laughs) It's a great theme, but it's totally out of place. This little girl just became an orphan, and her her dad was kidnapped, and she's left alone in the foggy streets of London. What kind of music should we play? Um, I got it. Let's put more Charo with a sweaty pink leotard in this.
1: <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, it's structured much like a James Bond film, where you have the crazy thing, the stunt, and then you have what I imagine being the the basil theme for all of basil's films like the basil theme comes in it's like oh they're going to play the basil theme now but what you're missing is like the shot of basil walking up with like in the circle you're missing that transition thing it just goes to another shot of foggy london with the title there's the chase scene in the toy store where they've tracked the bat to the toy store And they're going after him and he's taken Olivia and they're going after him, trying to get him. I think that that works because it's ridiculous because, because there's a mouse on a wooden horse on a spring chasing after a bat up a pile of blocks. And it's this really riveting music going. Um, You also have the, um, Radigan works in some ways, which I think we could discuss. Um, Radigan as performed by Vincent Price. I do like that there's violence, um, that the most violent character is a cat, who is really fluffy, who eats mice, that the villain just mm. kills willy-nilly, which is wonderful. Um, so there's actual physical peril that these characters are in. Um, and the the other thing that works, would be the the chase scene and all the way through the finale. I think really, really work in terms of the fight um, at the end and the chase, where we have the ridiculousness of um, a rat in a blimp being chased by a detective mouse who's made a makeshift air, <laughs> um, what is it? air vehicle from. <laughs> a British, you know, a a British flag, yeah, and um, helium balloons and a matchbox, chasing after a rat in a blimp. It's
0: it's like the animator said, like, oh, you thought the title's too British? Okay, challenge accepted.
1: <laughs> so the, it was just here's the Union Jack, and it's holding together this, and we're gonna go and it, and the thing that that I just find so satisfying is they're chasing after him and the whole time it's moving erratically because all that they're doing to steer is letting air out of one of the balloons. And you know what happens when you let air out of a balloon is you get the (laughs) sound. So they lean into that. And so this, this chase is going on with this great, music, you know, this Henry Mancini music going, the the blimp is going, and you have this ridiculous thing going, yeah. chasing after him. And Jack was clapping that whole time. It's just a really exciting sequence. It's like, oh my gosh, they're going, they're going after him.
0: I think Jack likes to chase seats. He does. He does. Have you played any Benny Hill for him?
1: No. Hmm.
0: He should learn now.
1: I he shouldn't. He really, really shouldn't. I don't think anybody should. <laughs> so but I, I, I think it's it's really it's just a really strong thing. And also when um Basil and Dawson escape from Radigan's trap is also a fun sequence because it's just really ridiculous. The trap is it's just total villain trope of Leaving a hero to die, but knowing the hero's going to get out.
0: Yes, but they have like a plot-motivated reason for the villain to leave that they've established before. It's not like, well, now I have to meet a deadline. It's like, well, I'm going to this thing, which I've told you about. And you were 15 minutes late in showing up here, which I've already like rubbed in your face, Basil. So I got to go. I can't watch you die, but I'm leaving a camera to take a picture. Like, I thought the whole setup (laughs) was well done, except... My only complaint is that he says, let me explain to you how this trap works and then starts to and then doesn't actually explain anything. (laughs) It's like, well, the record's going to play and then the ball's going to fall and then all the death traps go off at once. Like, but that doesn't explain how they go off. Like nothing. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Like the trap doesn't at all make sense.
1: I just enjoy that he couldn't figure out the best way to kill his nemesis, so so I chose them all. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> uh,
0: it's a well-done sequence. Splat. So, knowing you love of this movie, besides the daddy smash cut at the beginning, what doesn't work?
1: Okay, so there's a scene. Where Basil and Dawson go to a CD pub because they're tracking Radigan and there, there's some cool vaudevillian shows that, that happen um, there's there are two there's a frog and a lizard on a unicycle and they get booed off um, and this young debutante shows up and starts to sing a song. Um, life down here has been hard for you. Um, Life has made you strong. And then she says, let me change the mood with my attitude. And then the music just changes and it turns into a striptease.
0: That's exactly what I wrote down. I have to, for the record, say I put down mouse striptease in my notes. It's... It's
1: to this day, it's disturbing. <laughs> I
0: like everything about it's,
1: it. It's just like I can't believe what's going on. One, it's interesting that they have them in a pub that Basil and I think it, it was two years ago that I finally understood that Basil was saying two pints. For me and me shipmate. Like I never understood what he was saying. Like, what's the point? What is he ordering? Like
0: he's a British seaman. Two points. Two points. But for me and my shipmate. For,
1: for me and my shipmate. Oh, by the way, we're meeting a friend of mine. Perhaps you've heard of him. Goes by the name of
0: Ratchan. You know, he's not a very good, like, subtle detective. <laughs> oh, no, he's... Like, the disguises he's good at, but, like, leading conversation. Mm-mm-mm.
1: Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> it's like...
0: Everyone's heard of Ratigan. clearly.
1: <laughs> anyway, the, but they order beer. The beer's drugged. Dawson gets drunk slash drugged. Goes on this bender on stage with these stripping mice. And the song is called, Let Me Be Good to You. There's this lyric that I've misheard since the movie came out. It wasn't until this time that I realized she wasn't saying what I thought she said. This is 20 times seeing this movie. She says this lyric, Hey fellas, I'll take off all my blues. Which doesn't make sense because I thought she said, I'll take off all my clothes.
0: Well she's wearing blue clothing.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't like what is take off my blues? I've never heard that that idiom anywhere. Like I'll take off all my blues. What does that mean? So she I don't know if it matters. Cuz she's yanking she's pulling off her clothes in one gesture. Hey fellas, I'll take off all my I always thought she said clothes in like clothes. Clothes. Like in a weird <laughs> And it wasn't until this time, like, blues? And I'm just, what the what does that mean? What does that even mean?
0: And you made some notes about how this, what they were going to do for this song changed multiple times. So, like, the final animation was, like, really spotty, too. So, you're watching it and confused as to why it's happening and what's happening. And then you're looking at it closely, like, none of the mouth movements sync up, if those mouth movements at all. Like, <laughs> Well, originally...
1: So, this is where we start getting Michael Eisner involved. He's like, listen, how about we get Michael Jackson to be a character? And he could come into the saloon and then he could sing a song and then they could do some stuff. And, and I guess I would, I can, <laughs> it talked about this uncomfortable silence that happened. I could just see this. Pitch like, yeah, that Michael Jackson could be there. They could sing a song, and then Basil they could fight and have this little thing going on, and then maybe they could be friends, and he could help him, help him later on, and give him a or we or we. Could, mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't have to be exactly that, to, but you know but,
1: that, but not that, that, but but not that, um, and they even talked about Madonna to perform <laughs> the song. Um, and it was just. Yeah, it just looks bad in in theme, in execution, and just what's happening. The fact that it's a stripping mouse, yeah, in a Disney movie. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem with like.
0: uh, Do you don't have a problem with stripping mice?
1: No, I I was going to say with leaning on more adult themes in a Disney film, but like. It's just totally out of place.
0: It's not necessary. Yeah, in any way. Right. The vaudeville bit was working fine. You don't need to like turn this into a nightclub.
1: Yeah, it, it just got weird. Err. Weird err. <laughs> in this movie about mouse detectives, this suddenly got strange.
0: Um. So, listeners, can you guess who, which movie is uh, which person's <laughs> favorite?
1: Oh goodness. Yeah, I I don't know. I I did there's so much that I like about it, but again, it's it feels like it's 80% done like in a lot of ways. And it was the first Disney film to have computer generated animation in it um where we got the the inside of Big Ben.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And um Which they did because they they actually got a tour of the inside of Big Ben for an hour because it was going to chime, and they had to get in there between chimes. So they took as much photography as they could and then took it back and then built wireframes and then traced the wireframes. But that sequence is just a really strong sequence. Mm -hmm. But it's... um, that's (laughs) It feels like all the money went into that scene and then... (laughs) <laughs> Some other things forgot to get done.
0: What do you mean we didn't finish animating? Uh, they'll get the idea. My mice don't talk. It's fine.
1: But what are your thoughts about? Um, and I guess we could get into this a little bit. Um, Radigan as a character.
0: So I also like that of the two movies that we chose that are complement like. First off to say, I think the Fox and the Hound and Great Mouse Detective, if you take the strengths of each and smoosh them together, you get one great Disney movie. <laughs> and right now, I think that they both have weaknesses and they both have strengths and they're very opposite in what they do well and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it's interesting that they're both movies with a lot of whether intentional or not. I think perhaps unintentional in one case and very intentional in another. Um, a lot of queer coding of the characters. Hmm. And trying to say that they're uh, gay without saying that they're gay. And Fox and the Hound does it in one way and Great Mass Detective does it in another way that's problematic. So Radigan is like this lock need, rosé-drinking uh rat with a monograph nightclub who is synchronized henchmen dancing in his villain song um and gets really really upset when someone calls him a bad name it's rat which when your name is rat again like and you're queer coded that's like having your villain be named gay lord which is a real name it's like my villain name is Gaylord! Da da, 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 da da and someone calls you gay, like what did you call me? Like it's in your name. Your name is Gaylord. So you can't be that upset. But so he's really upset about being called a bad name because he's not like the other mice, because he really wants to be a mouse, to the point that he fakes being the consort of Queen Mouse Turia. So he's like this problematic, like Jafar before Jafar, like, I'm gay. I'm the bad guy. I'm the only one of my kind. I don't like being gay. So I'm going to take it out on everyone else.
1: Doesn't that, that sounds like a movie in itself. Jafar before Jafar.
0: (laughs) The prequel to Aladdin.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think even as a kid, uh, the, the thing that... It feels like he's in a different movie than everybody else. Like I don't know what movie he's in. But it's definitely not the Great Mouse detective.
0: <laughs> La Caja Mice.
1: I do <laughs> I do appreciate the scene between the two of them where they finally meet together. But everything that Radakin does on his own is just out of place. It just doesn't feel right.
0: Yeah, like the queer coding could have been made less problematic, and he couldn't have made this version of the Great Mouse Detective in the 80s, but maybe he's like a jilted, um, pining, unrequited lover of Basil, and he just wants to be with Basil, but he can't, so instead he tries to infuriate Basil to the point that Basil has to find him, and is obsessed with him, but he ultimately realizes before his untimely death that having someone making someone be obsessed with you and having someone be in love with you are not the same thing.
1: I'd still watch that movie.
0: Exactly! <laughs> it's a less problematic version of this movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just this part of it is Right. Interesting. <laughs> it is entertaining to watch. Like it's not like, oh, I'm so offended. It's like, why is this happening? I think okay, it's, Disney. It, it helps. <laughs> It helps,
1: with quotation marks, that it's Vincent Price <laughs> because his performance is so good.
0: I think they based a lot of the animation off of his voice. And I'm not saying that he necessarily had the, because it's Vincent Price's voice. It's not like he has just a different voice for Radigan than he does any other character he's ever done. He's Vincent Price.
1: And what's funny is they made him audition for the role. And he's like, if it had been anyone other than Disney, I probably would have, like, walked away. <laughs> you want,
0: you know I'm Vincent Price, right? Like, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be this, and there's going to be some emphasis on things, and some, like, delightfully villainous <laughs> Britishisms.
1: <laughs> Do you want part of the price or not?
0: Is the price
1: right? For this production... That you can pay the price. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, we're done with that.
0: Okay. <laughs> On the flip side... Yes. You have... I was like trying to do research to find out like who in charge of the story of Fox and the Hound was gay. Um, <laughs> I can't find any evidence <laughs> saying that anyone was, but I don't see how you can make this movie and not have somewhere somehow in production driving this queer narrative that is um, somehow made it past early 80s Disney. Because, okay, you have these two kids from different backgrounds who can't be together because they're not supposed to be together. And then they're separated and one is a disappointed militaristic father figure um, and they can't play around at Copper's place because his family's there. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and ultimately they have like this reunion tryst in the dead of night that goes wrong and they're chased off and then they grow up and they have like a smile at the end that's very like end of moonlight like we we valued what we had but one of us isn't actually gay one of us is and we can't really be together as adults either and the song lyrics like while they're like uh, what's the song you're breaking all the rules they can't understand the magic of your wonderland when you're the best of friends and there's like the moment when they're like as kids hanging out there's a compromising moment of like todd on his back rolling on the ground with like copper standing over him in like this weird like idyllic countryside embrace it's it's got gay written all over it
1: todd is biting copper's ear
0: yeah there's, there's a lot happening
1: and then they they go on they go for a swim together and I'm just like when does Copper say I don't know how to quit you like when does that happen <laughs> I
0: know this is Disney broke it's, back You're it's totally hitting
1: right. all the story beats broke <laughs> <from> back down <laughs> down to the fox getting married <laughs>
0: like and I do find it especially amusing that this was my favorite Disney movie as a kid. <laughs> It's sad, it's got gays, it's great. And you know what, for it's time, it's really ahead for gay storytelling because no one dies, Mm -hmm. or I should say, none of the gays die. Um, And they don't really have like a sad, sad ending, it's like a so-so ending. It's part Happy. Which for early 1980s gay storytelling is huge leaps and bounds ahead of the competition. Good job, Disney
1: and I think that's
0: where we can leave it <laughs> Good <job. laughs> I don't know what more we can say but if someone can find proof conclusively that this is or is not intentionally a gay movie I would love to see it there's lots of opinions on the internet but there's no like proof either way as far as I've been able to tell from a quick google search if you know please tweet at us at WG Animated Mackenzie would love to see it <laughs>
1: So, Mackenzie, out of the things that we watched, do you have a favorite thing?
0: It's always going to be the widow leaving Todd in the woods and it begins to rain with the sad music and the weird spoken song that rhymes, but is in a song. Mm. It's just got It's
1: really, out. it's a really strong moment. For me, it's always going to be that balloon chase. It always is that balloon chase.
0: It's, just, it's a good chase. It's
1: just so satisfying in so many ways. It's just so good. Because it's ridiculous, but is it, it's exciting. Uh, it's for everything that I said before. Ugh. <laughs>
0: Rewind 20 minutes and listen, <laughs> listen to, to this <laughs> episode of Frighter Getting Animated.
1: <laughs> for your homework... Go on Netflix and watch Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. That's the title of yeah. it. I'm not calling it an epic movie. That's the title. It's on
0: Netflix. It's on Netflix in the US. So is the Boss Baby now, but we've already talked about that. So you can watch that and also be surprised, just like us, <laughs> if you listen to our Boss Baby episode. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Cotino and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Find us on the web. Tweet at us
1: what your favorite Disney movie is. And if you agree or disagree with our takes on these films and the films in this era, at WG Animated. find our show notes where we'll link to lots of different things and articles that we've found, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com, and like us on the Facebooks. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find us.
0: Not my podcast writers get animated. It won't ever change. We'll keep podcasting forever.
1: Good night, everybody.